you have a memory. Tonight is beautiful. It's got my mind on you. And everywhere I turn is a reminder. That's your favorite part, isn't it? (laughs) Welcome to Barah Ministries, an intimate local Christian church with worldwide impact. My name is Pastor Rory Clark. Welcome to this Bible lesson. Who is Jesus Christ? At Barah Ministries, we know this truth, that Jesus Christ is God. The Apostle John, who describes himself as the Apostle Jesus Loved, is vivid with his descriptions of the Lord and all five of his letters in the New Testament. Here's one in 1 John chapter 5, verse 20. He says, And we believers in Christ know that the Son of God has come in human form, the Lord, Son of God, Jesus, the Christ, the Jewish Messiah, has come in human form, and he has given us believers in Christ understanding so that we may know God the Father, who is true. And we are in union with the Father, who is true, and we're in union with his Son, Jesus, the Christ, the Jewish Messiah. See, you you know, that's one of the things that church-age believers forget. We are not in the age of Israel. We are not in the age of the Gentiles. We are not in the age of the hypostatic union, which was the 33 years that Jesus Christ was on the earth. We are in the church age. We are in the age that happens after the cross. One of the things that irritates me a lot about pastors is that they're teaching the Old Testament to church-age believers. There's nothing wrong with looking back in the Old Testament. There's a lot of good stuff in the Old Testament. But we are New Testament believers. We are the church-age believers. We are what happened after the cross. What the Lord was talking to Israel about was there's a Messiah coming, and here's how you will recognize him. And there are laws, the Mosaic law, and you can't keep it no matter how hard you try. But don't worry, because there's a Savior coming, who's Jesus, the Christ. And here's how you will recognize him. There'll be 109 things. Now we got believers in the church age looking on the other side of the cross. That's not our side of the cross. That's what John is talking about here. So over here, on this side of the cross in the church age, you, as a believer in Christ, are indwelled by God the Holy Spirit. You know that you were placed into union with Christ at the moment of salvation through the baptism of the Spirit. But you're also indwelled by the Father. You're indwelled by the entire Trinity. 
And that's why it's almost ridiculous any time believers in Christ start thinking that they can't do something. You are a unique group of believers that's indwelled by the entire Trinity. They've made their residence in you. What is it exactly that you can't do with that kind of power inside? And so that's what we're talking about here. We are in union with the Father who is true. Put up that verse, Zach. We are in union with the Father who is true, and we are in union with his Son, Jesus, the Christ, the Jewish Messiah. This one is the true God, and he is the resurrection life, which is eternal life. Jesus is the resurrection life. You, as a believer in Christ in the church age, have the resurrection life. So, as believers in Christ, as it says in John 15, 5, we abide in the Father And we abide in the Son, and of course, we abide in the unsung hero, God the Holy Spirit. So why does Barah Ministries exist? At Barah Ministries, we introduce people to the Lord. We make a difference by teaching the Word of God verse by verse from the Lord's perspective and not from man's perspective. Barah Ministries is provided by God for the benefit of both unbelievers and believers. We give unbelievers the gospel message, which is the good news concerning Jesus Christ's salvation offer. And we teach believers in Christ the word of God, the Bible, the inerrant canon of scripture. The the Bible has no mistakes in it, no contradictions in it. It isn't just a bunch of stories like everybody, and it isn't out of date like everybody wants to say. So those who study the Bible have the opportunity to have a deep, intimate, and personal relationship with the Lord. And we encourage believers to gather themselves together with other believers and not to retreat to doing biblical study alone or online. See, that's what Satan wants you to do. He wants you to go do it yourself. That's the whole lifestyle he proposes, the do-it-yourself lifestyle. I don't know what you've done that was significant in your life, but I guarantee you, you didn't do it by yourself. Amen? So that's not the lifestyle that God proposes. And as a matter of fact, one of the reasons that God asks us to gather together is so we can irritate each other, right? Because that's what happened this week. We all got together and we irritated each other. And that's the benefit of being in church, actually, because then you don't have to talk about unconditional love. You get to live it. And there are a lot of people who like talking about it, but they don't like living it. And when you come to church, you get to live it. How many people are there sitting at home today talking about how, well, like 15 years ago, there was a person at my church who made me mad, so I don't go to church. Okay. All right. (laughs) That makes a lot of sense. You let somebody that you don't know or care about and haven't seen in 15 years take you out of a spiritual life. Makes total sense. Makes no sense. Amen? But that's what's happening all over the world. So why bother studying the Word of God? Well, when we learn the mind of Christ, we grow in our faith. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7 says this, We believers in Christ walk by faith and not by sight. What is by sight? Empiricism. If I can't see it, feel it, touch it, taste it, it doesn't exist. Well, have you ever seen, feel, touched, or tasted God? No. So you have to believe in him by faith. What is faith? Oh, well, I don't believe in blind faith. There's no such thing as blind faith. That's a lie. What is faith? It's examining something 
and then after examination, placing your confidence in it. See, I don't get on American Airlines because I'm hoping that the pilot can fly the plane. I've had a lot of experiences with American Airlines where the pilots flew the plane successfully, and all I want the pilot to do is get the plane off the ground and put it down on the ground again safely. That's all I want them to do. And they've done that for 45 years of my life. So I have confidence in American Airlines and its pilots because I've seen them successfully get me off the ground and get me back on the on land safely a whole bunch of times now now if i'm going over to hainan china and american airlines is in the airline well i'm not sure that i would have the same confidence because i haven't inspected that's what faith is you place your confidence after inspection and those of us who are believers in christ have inspected the bible and its promises, and we believe that our faith is best expended for salvation in the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. So that's what we're, we're after. So we study the Word of God to increase our faith, faith a gift that God gives us. So God doesn't want us to simply learn about faith as some intellectual concept. He expects us to live faith a lifestyle that is clearly outlined in the Word of God. And when we live faith, we count on God and not on ourselves. So as you study the Word of God with us, we implore you to always compare what you learn about God, both here at Barah Ministries and in the world, with what the Bible has to say. Now, why is that? Because God has an enemy, Satan, whom God made the ruler of this world. He is a deceiver who hates everyone in the world, including you. 1 John chapter 5, verse 19 says this, We believers in Christ know that we are from the source of God the Father and that the whole world lies under the deceptive power of the evil one, Satan. Satan is, Satan is a ruthless snake. First, he tempts us to sin, encouraging us to disobey God. And when we do, when we sin, when we're feeling horrible about it, Satan accuses us of being bad Christians. First he says, go ahead, sin. You can get away with it. Your sins are paid for at the cross. And after we sin, he said, God is never going to let you get away with this. And he takes us to specific verses that we use to torture ourselves. So, Satan is described by the Bible as the accuser of the brethren, and the brethren as believers in Christ. Both Satan's temptation and his accusation, though, are lies. Satan is a liar, and he's the one who keeps on fathering lies, because when we make mistakes, God gives us grace. When we make mistakes, God gives us mercy. Amen? He is not somebody that, when you fall down, says, I'm not going to let you get away with that. And that's why we teach the Bible from his perspective and not man's perspective, because if you listen to a lot of people, oh, well, you got to repent of your sins. Oh, and if you don't repent of your sins, maybe you were never saved at all. Maybe you just have a head belief and not a heart belief. Nonsense. That's not what the Bible says. And see, one of the great things about being a pastor is I don't have to get up here and give you my opinion. All we have to do is look right here. 
This is an opinion. It's in there. You can go check. In 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 10 and 11, the Apostle Paul reminds us of how God handles our disobedience. It says this, But if you believers in Christ forgive anyone of anything, I, Paul, forgive you also. For indeed, what I have forgiven, if I have forgiven anything, I did it for your sakes in the presence of Christ. And Christ is the one who forgives everything. Well, why does God forgive us? So that no advantage would be taken of us by Satan. For we are not ignorant of his schemes. Schemes is actually the word strategy. Satan has a strategy. It's called religion. He mixes just enough truth with a lie that you'll never see if you're not looking for it. 90% truth piled right on top of the big lie that keeps you from being saved. But don't worry, because it's in here. What it takes to be saved is in here. See? And if you aren't checking everything you're hearing against that, then you're not like the Bereans. Acts 17, 10, and 11, you can check it out on your own. Satan's schemes involve attacking our conscience so we feel disappointed with ourselves. Instead, we must stand on the victorious ground provided by the Lord and his cross, erecting spiritual defenses against the father of lies. See, the scoreboard for Christians is Christians won Satan nothing. The quarter is four, It's the fourth quarter, and there are all zeros on the clock, which means the fourth quarter is over. We've already won. We won the victory the moment we believed in Christ. The game is over, yet Satan thinks the game is still going on because the Lord is allowing him to prove his his accusations that God is unfair and unloving. Don't be fooled by Mr. Merciless. Amen? All right, today's Bible study, the Colossian problem is our problem. The Colossian problem is our problem. We continue our overview of the Apostle Paul's letter to the Colossians, which is the next letter we're going to study. And we've been answering 10 questions about the letter, questions that are worthwhile to use when studying any biblical letters. So as we go forward and study other letters after we finish Colossians, We're going to see those same questions come up because those questions are really valuable every time you're studying a biblical letter. So in today's lesson, we'll remind ourselves of the answers of the first questions we've answered in the first three lessons of Colossians, and then we'll answer a few new questions, and then we'll take a look at chapter three of this four-chapter, 95-verse masterpiece about the Lord, Lord Jesus Christ and Christianity, the Christian way of living. Okay, well, let's hear some music. Worry is the constant nemesis of Christians. We are relentless in creating scenarios in our minds which never occur. But the Lord has a cure for worry. Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 to 30, he says this, Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Matthew eleven twenty nine. Take my yoke upon me 
and learn from me. Now, the only one who gets emotional when he hears that part in here is Larry, because he probably, when he was uh, growing corn over in Kansas, he probably had a couple oxen, and he knows what a yoke is. You know, a yoke is the thing that you put on two animals, right? So when the Lord says, take your, your, the yoke, he's in one side, you're in the other side, and he's doing all the pulling, Amen. All right, so you country people probably getting a little tear in your eye, ain't you, Topeka? You getting a little, little, getting a little weepy going back to your roots and thinking about how you used to walk out on the street and all the cows are walking around and everything? <laughs> Matthew eleven twenty nine. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Matthew eleven thirty. for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Well, if we're smart, we follow the advice of the group finding favor in the matter of the Lord in their song, Cast My Cares. When fear feels bigger than my faith And struggles steal my breath away When my back's pressed up against the wall With the weight of my worry stacked up tall You're strong enough to hold it all I will cast my cares on you
Abby, if you if you feel it, let it go, girlfriend. And we're we're now nah, we're pretty now nah, we're pretty boring. We're pretty boring here. We're pretty boring here. If you feel it, if you hear feel it, let it go. Because maybe you'll infect them. You know they are. Why is she raising her hand? Did she have to go to the bathroom? Yeah, there you go. That's what I'm talking about. That's what I'm talking about. <laughs> I love that. Yes. That's right. Hey, we got, we got about five closet Pentecostals in here. They know what you're feeling. Believe me. <laughs> it's exactly what I feel all the time. So funny. <laughs> that is beautiful. So this is the worst. So you, you, yeah, this is the worst. So you moved in the right neighborhood, just so you know. All right, you got a sister there. Go ahead. All right, let us pray. We're grateful, Heavenly Father, for the privilege of studying your absolute truth, the Word of God. Father, thank you for always encouraging us to grow. We know that you don't call the already qualified to your plan for mankind. Instead, you qualify those you call with your divine power, so there's nothing for us to worry about. We know that you're, all, you're always the one who is pouring the power into us so that we can take on things that are uncomfortable. Teach us the power of unity. Help us not to talk about the concept of unity, but instead to live unity in every area of our lives in spite of the distractions posed by Satan's kingdom. We ask this through the power of God, the Holy Spirit. In Christ's name, say it with me. Amen. Amen. Today's Bible lesson, the Colossian problem is our problem. The Colossian problem is our problem. What's the Colossian problem in a nutshell? The Colossian problem in a nutshell, because every biblical letter is addressing a problem. The Colossian problem in a nutshell is that there are false teachers selling false ideas into the Colossian church. And the pastor of the church, Epaphras, needed some help, so he went to, um, to Rome where Paul was in prison and asked him to help. And that's why Paul wrote a letter to a group of people in the middle of nowhere that has become one of the greatest descriptions of the Lord Jesus Christ in the Bible and anywhere in the universe. And we're going to get the privilege of studying that. All right, so let's review a few of the things we've learned so far in our overview of Paul's letter to the Colossians, because whenever you're going to study a letter, you should probably have a general idea of the landscape of the letter, and then you should go in and look at the specifics of it. So the first question that we addressed was, who wrote the letter we're about to study? And the letter was written by the Apostle Paul, the man who was born as Saul of Tarsus in a place called Cilicia. And so on your map, Cilicia is over to the right side of the map in the orange area, and it is uh, real close to Syria. It's in modern-day Turkey. So that's where Saul was from. Why is he called Saul sometimes and Paul sometimes? Because he had a Roman name, and he had a uh, Jewish name. And so Paul and Saul are the same thing. It's like Robert and Bob. You know, it's the same person, but there are different terms. Richard and Dick. You know, Dick is a, a nickname for Richard, but it's the same person. 
So that's where that's who wrote the letter. And we learned quite a bit about Paul. And so we'll look into some of that in just a little bit. Now, the next question we addressed is, who is the letter directed to? And the letter is directed to a group of believers in Christ in a small town in first century Colossae. Uh, Colossae is in Turkey. The church was started as a home-based church by a believer in Christ named Epaphras. Most churches start as home-based churches. Barah Ministries started as a home-based church in 1999 at my dining room table, and the first member of the church, Zachary Clark, is part of the congregation. And uh, truly, he doesn't know one more thing now than he did way back then, 22 years ago. But I happen to like him, so, you know, go figure. Now, next question is, where do people live who are receiving the letter? Colossae is about 100 miles inland from the city of Ephesus, located in modern-day Turkey. And the letter was intended not only for the Colossian believers, but for other believers throughout the area, including the churches at Laodicea and Heropolis. So if you look right in the middle of the map in the orange area and you locate Colossae, you can see that above and below Colossae, you'll see Laodicea and Heropolis. Laodicea was a place where a lot of rich people lived, and uh, they manufactured black wool, and so they made megabucks from the black wool, and they are, they are mentioned in uh, Revelation, in the book of Revelation, I think, in the third chapter of Revelation, because they, are, they thought that they needed nothing because they were wealthy. And the Lord gave them quite a ripping to let them know that they were spiritually bankrupt. But these letters that Paul would write were, you know, you know, back then, you know, you guys are probably thinking, well, what did he do? Did he just take out his apple and type it up and then put it on the Internet? No, he didn't. He had a scribe and the scribe had to sit and painstakingly listen to him and write what was said and then make multiple copies of it by hand, and then the letters were distributed to the churches and read to the churches, and that's how that happened. The printing press came into play in 1500, I think. Gutenberg started the printing press, but that that was a long time before that. People were walking the stuff to the cities. All right, so think about that, walking or taking a a donkey for a 100-mile ride. Yeah, I wouldn't want to take a donkey for a two-mile ride. Donkeys are idiots. And, you know, one of the things you should always know, if you ever get uh, with a donkey and you're walking beside the donkey and you get in the back of his midpoint, you're in trouble. Right? Because you're going to get kicked in the face. And they have a speed which, with the, which they can turn and kick that will mind-boggle you. You always should be in front of the midpoint of the donkey. You know how I know that? Because I have two sons. <laughs> yeah they're donkeys <laughs> is that what a donkey does i don't know what what was that that was that a sheep yeah they're that too i'll use them for that analogy as well a little later that's correct all right so what do we know about the author of the letter well we know many things about the apostle paul first we know he hated christians Second thing we know is he was a persecutor of the church. Two things that are rather appalling 
Yeah, let me get the drum on that. He had impressive human credentials. Philippians chapter 3, verses 1 to 8, talk about his human credentials, among other places. He was given a ministry by God. And even though he is a Jew who hated Christians and hated the Gentiles, God gave him a ministry to Christians and to the Gentiles. And that's God's amazing sense of humor. If you don't think God has a sense of humor, believe me, he does. He even visited the third heaven. Paul was stoned, uh, what, what the stoners thought was to death, and Paul visited the third heaven. 2 Corinthians chapter 12 details his visit to the third heaven and what God did for him to keep him from getting cocky about the fact that he had gone to the third heaven, which is the, the residence of God and the throne room of God. But another thing we know about Paul is that he was human, just like you and me. He was human. So in Romans chapter 7, verses 14 to 25, about 20 years into his ministry, he's lamenting about how human he is. So he was a persecutor of the church whose mission was to kill every Christian who existed. He wanted to wipe out the Christian church single-handedly. He's the biggest murderer of all time. And then he changes uh, on the Damascus Road. God knocks him off his high horse on the Damascus Road. Is detailed in Acts chapter 9. And he becomes a Christian. And then he takes on, the, he goes into uh, uh, the desert for four years and is instructed by the resurrected Christ. And then he comes out and witnesses to the Gentiles and tells them the gospel message and, and starts writing more than half of the New Testament. So here's how he describes himself 20 years into this amazing ministry. And what you should get out of this is if you think you're bad, look at how he's describing himself 20 years into writing half the New Testament. All right, so Romans 7.14 says this, For we know that the Mosaic law is spiritual because it came from God. But I, Paul, am of flesh. I am unspiritual, and not literally. What he was saying is, I act like an unspiritual person. Carnal would be the word that he could have used. Fleshly, in a body with indwelling sin. Every one of you has indwelling sin. It's called the flesh in you, and it is resident in your body. That's why your body dies. If you're a believer in Christ, one day you will no longer have this impediment to your spiritual life called the flesh because your body will die. It will become fertilizer for daffodils. Your soul and spirit will be placed into a resurrection body and you'll live face to face with the Lord forever. Amen? Amen. But right now you have a conflict going on inside of you because the soul and the spirit see things one way and the body sees things another way. And that's why we sin. And that's what Paul is talking about here. That He's in a body with indwelling sin, the flesh. The, the Bible calls it the flesh. And I have been sold into bondage to sin. Now, he's talking about two situations here. When he was an unbeliever, he was in the slave market of sin because we're born physically alive and spiritually dead. But he's also talking about the conflict as a believer between the flesh and the spirit. We have the indwelling spirit ha waging war against the flesh. 
The flesh is telling you to do everything that is against God's will. The flesh hates you. The flesh is more powerful than you. That's why you don't have the thing that you think you ought to have called discipline because the flesh overpowers your will. And then you've got the spirit inside counteracting that who's much more powerful than you and much more powerful than the flesh. Amen? All right, so Romans 7.15. Here's what Paul says. This is his frustration. What I'm doing in my outer game, I don't understand. The outer game is what you see when you look at Paul. What I'm doing, I don't understand. Because I'm not practicing in my outer game what I'd like to do, but I'm doing the very thing I hate to do. I'm not living the inner game that I have, the spiritual inner game, which is what I want to do. Paul is under an influence that he doesn't understand, and it's a quandary for him because he is a fanatic. He is a dioko, the Greek word. He is somebody who's possessed to be perfect. And it didn't work when he was a a Jew trying to follow the Mosaic law, and it doesn't work when you're a Christian. Oh, but I don't agree, Pastor. I think I can be godlike. Okay, pass the joint. You are high. You cannot be godlike. You will never be anything that is could ever remotely resemble godlike. You are a creature. He is the creator. He is perfection. He is love. He is forgiveness in every way. You could never be like that. Luckily for you, though, at the moment of salvation, he imputed his own righteousness to you. So in his eyes, you're perfect. Amen? I was looking at all y'all. He went, (sighs) wow, such a burden off. Yeah, for for right now. And as soon as you go back out there into the world, you're going to pick that that monkey and put it right back up on your back and try to be perfect again. And then the minute you do something stupid, you're going to say, I can't believe I did that. I can't believe I'm so stupid. What an idiot. Because you expect this perfection from yourself that you are never going to get. Amen? Amen. All right. So, Romans 7.16. But if I do the very thing I don't want to do, and of course I do, first class condition, if in the Greek, if and it's true. Yet I agree with the Mosaic law, confessing that the Mosaic law is good. Why? Because it's holy, righteous, and from God. So now my insight is no longer am I the one doing the sinning, but indwelling sin in me is doing the sinning. Exactly. Whenever you commit a sin, it's not your soul doing it. It's not your spirit doing it. Those two things are a new creation at the moment of salvation. So what's doing the sinning? The flesh. Again, I see you guys, you go, Man, I thought it was me. (laughs) Well, in some of your cases, it is you, but don't tell God. Right? But no, it's the flesh. The flesh is doing the sinning. But the flesh is a master blamer. So the flesh blames you for what you're doing. And I've told believers in Christ that I know that I can't wait to see them in heaven so I won't have to know them with their flesh. Amen? Because their flesh is horrible. Irritating. That's why Paul tells us, no, no man according to the flesh. 
Because if you focus on that, you got a problem on your hands. So my insight is no longer am I the one doing the sinning, but indwelling sin in me is doing the sinning. And what Paul is saying is there's a production from within that is not done by him. Romans 7, 18. For I, Paul, know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. So all the people who espouse the, oh, people are basically good, the Bible says the opposite. You know, we all look at a little baby. Oh, isn't he cute? No. He's physically alive and spiritually dead. No. All right, I know I hurt your feelings. Go ahead and say it. You can, you can yell at me. It's all right. Because when I saw Zachary for the first time, I looked at him. Beautiful kid, too. Honestly, the most beautiful baby I've ever seen. And no, no uh, bias intended. He was gorgeous. Best lips I have ever seen in my life. But... <laughs> Shut up. But I knew what I had on my hands. I, I knew what I had on my hands. It was a mess. Right? And so when I, I got him in my arms, I'm the first male that's ever hold him, and I'm looking around. Doctor, the gynecologist said, first of all, she said, you want to cut the umbilical cord? No. I hired you to do that. Do that. I'm not doing that. Because those things are hard to cut. And then I started looking around. She said, what are you looking around for? I said, the manual. Do they come with a manual? They don't come with a manual. And you find that out in about 18 months when they, their first mission is to let you know that they are separate from you. No, I won't. And we call it the terrible twos, but it really starts at 18 months. All right, so... I know nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. For the willingness to do good, the wish to do good is present in me. I want to do well. But the actual doing of good is not present in me. Romans seven nineteen. For the good that I want, I do not do. Instead, I practice the very evil that I don't want to do. This is one of the greatest believers of all time saying this. 20 years into his ministry. Romans seven twenty. But if I am doing the very thing I do not want, I am no longer the one doing it, but sin which indwells in me is doing it. All right, so here's the great thing. Romans 7.21. I find then the principle that evil is present in me, the one who wants to do good. There is the internal conflict of the Christian. That's why I like unbeliever friends so much. They don't have that conflict. You know where they're coming from all the time. They are never going to come from unconditional love. They are conditional. That when you're treating them good, they love you. And when you're not, they hate you. They are clear. But it's the Christians that you got to worry about because you've never been screwed, really, until you've been screwed by a Christian. Amen? Amen? Because the Christian's got this conflict going on between the flesh and the self. All right? So I find then the principle that evil is present in me, the one that wants to do good. Romans 7, 22. For I, Paul, joyfully concur with the law of God in the inner man, in the soul and the spirit. Romans 7, 23. But I see a different law in the members of my body, in the outer game. Uh, a, a law waging war against the law of my mind, the inner game, and making me a prisoner of the law of sin, which is in my members. And then Paul lets out one of the greatest, greatest shrieks of all time. 
Ugh! Wretched man that I am. Why? Because he thought he could fix it. He thought he could fix it. He can't fix it. You can't fix it. You want to fix it. You can't fix it. So he lets out that. He says, who will set me free from the body of this death? And then he breathes a sigh of relief in Romans 7, 25. Thanks be to God the Father through Jesus Christ our Lord who delivered us. So then on the one hand with my mind, I'm serving the law of God. But on the other hand with my flesh, I'm serving the law of sin. That's the Christian experience. All right, next question. When did Paul write the letter? 62 A.D., about six years before his death. The letter was written after Romans and after 1 Corinthians. Where was Paul when he wrote the letter? He was in prison in Rome. He had been in prison for two years. All right, so those are some of the first things we studied. When we return from the break, we'll take the offering, and then we'll learn why God asked Paul to write the letter. Take a five-minute break. Why you ever chose me has always been a mystery. All my life I've been told I belong at the end of the line. With all the other not quite, with all the never get it right. But it turns out they're the ones you were looking for all this time. Cause I'm just a nobody. We're trying to tell everybody. All about somebody who saved my soul Ever since you rescued me You gave my heart a song to sing I'm living for the world to see Nobody but Jesus I'm living for the world to see Nobody but Jesus When Moses had stage fright When David brought a rock to a sword fight you picked 12 outsiders nobody would have chosen And you changed the world Well, the moral of the story is Everybody's got a purpose So when I hear that devil start talking to me Saying, who do you think you are? I say, I'm, I'm just a nobody Trying to tell everybody All about somebody Who saved my soul For the world to see Nobody but Jesus I'm living for the world to see Nobody but Jesus So let me go down, down, down With history As another blood or Faithful member of the family And if they all forget my name Living for the world to see Nobody but Jesus So let me go Nobody 
Welcome back. Today's Bible lesson, the Colossian problem is our problem. The Colossian problem is our problem. Well, don't ever underestimate the power of your giving. My four years at Northwestern University cost $17,500 for tuition alone. The room and board were extra. Today, it would be $320,000. For a mother who made $14,000 a year, $17,500 plus was an astronomical sum that she could not pay. Impossible for her to pay it, but she didn't have to pay for it because someone we didn't know and still don't know to this day paid the bill for her. And this person's contribution allowed me to have an academic scholarship to one of the finest universities in the world. This person's generosity changed the trajectory of my life. Don't ever underestimate the power of your giving. Giving to Barah Ministries could change a life or two or three because we are a worldwide ministry. We're heard in 45 countries. You may not hear while you're here on earth how your generosity changed someone's life. But know that God knows the impact you make and will share it with you in heaven. Let's welcome up Deacon Denny Goodall with one of his always inspiring offering messages.
Good morning. My name is Denny Goodall, and I'm blessed to be a deacon for Barah Ministries. Barah Ministries is a worldwide Christian church. This is a place for real people who want to listen to a real pastor teach the real truth from the Word of God. And this week I was talking with one of my cohorts at work who's very carnal, doesn't, doesn't believe in Jesus, doesn't believe in anything like that. He's the one that always prods me with questions, trying to get under my skin. And he was, he was asking, you know, he's, you're a Christian, right? So why don't you stand on the corner and have one of those signs that says, Repent, Sinner. He's like, well, first of all, I would never do that. But second of all, that guy is not being positive at all. He's not showing the positivity or the love or the hope of Christ. He's just showing, like, all the bad sides. And it really hit me, you know. You know, I also told him, the battle is the Lord's. And he said, well, what's your weapon? And I had, had to think about it a while, and I was thinking, it's positivity. That's our revolt in this world, is positivity. That's how we combat this world, is positivity. Not fighting. Not, not escalating things. You know, you think about driving, and if you're getting on the freeway and you're trying to get in and somebody lets you in, it's very nice, positive, right? It spread out, let you in. It, everybody gets where they need to go. But if you try to cram up and not let somebody in, you just escalate it. Now there's two angry drivers amongst ten other angry drivers. It doesn't help. So that's where positivity comes in. Just let somebody in. I love letting people in because they're always so surprised. They come fighting over and it's like, have at it, you know? And you think about, you know, I was watching the Suns last night, and it was real hard to be positive. But I'm sitting in front of my kids for most of the game, and I was angry. I was jumping around. And so every sports game, my, my kids are just like, oh, Dad's angry again. And Suns must be losing. Cardinals must be losing. And they lose a lot. So then I'm, I'm just angry all the time around my kids. Is that, does that help? You know, it doesn't help. I need to show them that there's still a chance. It ain't over yet. The sun still have a chance. It's still game on. You know, and I, my air conditioner actually went out yesterday during the game. It just stopped working. I'm like, that doesn't sound right. And I started getting hot. And I'm like, oh, you're kidding? The suns are losing. AC's out. You know, and what do I do in front of my kids? Just blow up and go crazy? That's not going to help them. It's not going to help anybody. It's like June. She just laughs off pastor's jokes. You know? <laughs> See? She just laughs it off. It, that doesn't, it doesn't even affect her, you know? That's why he keeps going, because he, he thinks he can't get under your skin, right? <laughs> so, you know, and, that, and that's why we bring people to Barah Ministries, because this is a place for positivity. And we had Abby today. She, she was running around pure positive. I mean, that just, that's just the mood that it sets you in a mood when your people are positive like that. Um, and so, you know, I was looking in Romans chapter 15, verse 13. Now may God, the Father of hope, fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that you will abound in hope by the power of God the Holy Spirit. So that's something we should do. Is be filled with hope, joy, and peace. The triad of God's faith that we have in Him. And, you know, Bra is a place of positivity and this is a place where we need to bring people because the Word of God is positive. And a lot of people say, Pastor is a motivational speaker because they feel so freed when he comes. But I feel better of knowing that it's my flesh that sins. You know, not my body and my spirit. And that's something positive that we need to remember every day and remind people of. And so they, you can't remind them unless you talk to them about it. And that's all we have to do. So thank you for always giving to this ministry and supporting us because we can truly change the lives of, of many, many people. Thank you very much. Have you been praying? And you still have no answer. 
Have you been pouring out your heart for so many years? Have you been hoping that things would have changed by now? Have you cried all the faith you have through so many tears? Don't forget the things that he has done before. And remember he can do it all once more. It's like the I'm sorry, Deacon Denny. Welcome back. Today's Bible lesson. The Colossian problem is our problem. The Colossian problem is our problem. So I'm sorry, Deacon Denny. Uh, I am not a good example. I was not a good example for your kids last night because that is where I get out all my aggression 
and I was quite upset last night, and I had zero positivity in my soul. And I'm always under your skin. Why didn't you tell him? Yeah. What is love? <laughs> Baby, don't hurt me. Yeah, I forgot what that is. All right, so today's Bible lesson, the Colossian problem, is our problem. Continuing our overview of Paul's letter to the Colossians, what was God's purpose in getting Paul to write the letter? Well, whenever a new church is budding, the ruler of this world, Satan, sends his ambassadors into the church to ruin it. God wanted Paul to help the believers at Colossae to address the problem of satanic infiltration of the church. So that's what he does. As soon as a bud starts to come up, he comes and walks in the area and tries to stomp the bud out. And that's what was going on. False teachers with their false teaching were penetrating the church. Now, what does Paul, what does God want Paul to communicate to the intended audience of the letter? Well, Paul writes to counteract false teachers, and false teaching, and to affirm the accuracy of the gospel message. Because what, what, what false teachers do is they come in with a false go- gospel message. All right, so how do you get to heaven? All right, here's what, I ask that question all the time. How do you get to heaven? Here's what people say. Well, uh, basically you get to heaven by living a good life. Okay, you're screwed. No, you don't get to heaven by living a good life. Because you don't. You don't live a good life. You sin. That's not a good life. Okay, now what? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. You and everyone in your household who also believes. In other words, place your confidence in Christ for your salvation and he will do it. Okay, so here come the false teachers and yeah, it's not that easy. It's not that easy. Yeah, you believe in Christ. That's all well and good. But then you need to keep the sacraments. Well, yeah, you believe in Christ, but there are some other books. The Pearls of Great Price and the Doctrines and Covenants and the the Book of Mormon. Yeah, you believe in Christ. The Bible's okay, but you need this edition, the Catechism of the Roman Catholic Church. There's always an addition. Yeah, you believe in Christ, but you have to repent of your sins. Okay, well, now that you've repented of your sins, what did that pay for them? No, what paid for them? Christ at the cross. You didn't do jack. See, so that's what the false teachers do. They come in and sell you on the fact that what Christ did isn't adequate, and you need to add something to it. You need to help God. No. God does not need your help. You're lucky to be here. Amen? All right, so stop helping. Let's stop helping. Relax. When I was a kid, we were up at a, a farm in, uh, in Wisconsin, and we knew that one of the kids in the group couldn't swim. So we wanted to play a trick on him cruel trick. Kids are cruel. So we put a life jacket on him and we walked him up to the edge of the pier and we pushed him in the water. Now you can imagine what that was like. He swallowed half the lake and he was flailing like crazy. But you know what, you know, if you've ever boxed, you know, the, the one thing I admire about boxers is the fact that they can hold their arms in this position uh, for 10 rounds. 
Because if you box, after three minutes, your arms are like jelly. You start hitting people with your shoulder. So he's flailing and flailing, and you can do that for about three minutes, and then he can't do it anymore. So his arms just drop down to his side. But what he noticed is he didn't go down. The life jacket held him up. Then he stopped flailing, and the life jacket was holding him up. See, that's the Christian way of, lo- of living. If you would just stop flailing, if you would stop thinking you have to help God, he'll just hold you up. Amen? Amen. He doesn't need your help. He has divine omnipotence. He has all the power. He doesn't need your help. You have nothing to add to Christianity because it doesn't need anything else. So that's what Paul was doing. He was writing to counteract false teachers and false teaching and to affirm the gospel message is all you need to be saved. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. If there was just one verse, that's the verse. If you wanted a second verse that was just as powerful as John 3.36, he who believes in the Son has the resurrection life right at that moment. But he who does not obey the command to believe in the Son shall not see the resurrection life. Instead, the wrath of God, the lake of fire, abides on him. So what Paul is communicating is the total sufficiency of a relationship with our peerless Lord, Jesus, the Christ. And several verses in Colossians chapter 2 highlight Paul's message to the Colossian believers. Colossians chapter 2 verse 8. See to it that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deception according to the traditions of men, according to the elementary principles of the world rather than according to Christ. Don't listen to men. Listen to the Lord and his word, the Bible, his exact thinking. Listen to men to the degree that you are, they are telling you what's in there and not giving you their opinions. Colossians chapter 2, verses 16 to 18. Therefore, no one is to act as your judge regarding food or drink or in respect to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath day. There are a lot of uh, religions that are telling you you're much more spiritual if you don't celebrate your birthday. You're much more spiritual if the Sabbath, if you remember that the Sabbath is still on Saturday. For the church age believer, it is not on Saturday. That was for the age of Israel. Sundown Friday to sundown Saturday was the Sabbath for the age of Israel. What's the Sabbath for the church age believer? Every day. Every day is the Sabbath for us. And we don't have to worry about tasting and touching stuff. Oh, well, I don't eat. I grew up in a neighborhood where there are a lot of black Muslims, right? And what was their big thing? You know, they see me eating a pulled pork sandwich. They, they, they freak out. Don't eat pork, pork's the devil's meat. I said, well, call me a devil because this sandwich is good. And I like ribs, right? Well, where are they? They're in the Old Testament. And... And not eating pork in the Old Testament had nothing to do with spirituality. Pigs are nasty, and there was no sanitation available, and people who ate pork died. That's not our 
experience now. Pork is the new white meat. Amen? <laughs> Boy, chickens don't get any respect, do they? Somebody's always trying to steal chicken, son. <laughs> yeah. Look, everything is fine now. It'd be even better if people weren't trying to poison us by putting high fructose corn syrup and everything. But that's another story. So no one is to act as your judge regarding food or drink or with respect to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath day. Colossians 2.17, things which are a mere shadow of what is to come. That is a loud statement that may be totally lost on you. But the Old Testament was a shadow of what was to come. But the substance is Christ. The substance was the cross. Everything in the Old Testament was a shadow pointing to the cross and to the Messiah. And the Jewish people missed it, most of them. There's a little group of Jewish people who didn't miss it. They're the Messianic Jews. And the bulk of the Jews think that they're stupid. That's what always is true for Christians. Everybody thinks we're stupid. People are always telling me, you know, Rory, you're such an amazing person and you, you, the consulting you do is just right on point. But how could you believe that Jesus Christ is God? Well, the Bible says it is. No, it doesn't. I, I've studied the Bible. I, no, I've read the Bible and I don't see anywhere in there. So I took one of my buddies, one of my Muslim buddies who's out of Morocco, I took him through a hundred different verses that say Jesus Christ is God. Longest three hours of my life, because I was hungry. I don't want to be there talking to him. I wanted to be eaten. And at the end, (laughs) and at the end, he was totally convinced that I was correct, wasn't he? No. Did zero good. Why? Because people think that what is in their head is the source. It's not. You're not the source. God is the source and his word is his thoughts. You're not the source. So you better figure out what he's saying. Because all of us are going to meet him face to face one day and there are only two places to meet him. At the judgment seat of Christ, which is where believers will meet him for their rewards, and at the last judgment where unbelievers will meet, meet him to know that they rejected him and he created a place for them to live called the lake of fire. And it has nothing to do with your works and it has nothing to do with your sins and everything to do with your attitude toward Christ. It's real easy, this Christian way of life. So, you know... Don't let anyone act as your judge regarding food or drink or a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath day, things which are a mere shadow of what is to come. Because the substance of things, the reality, belongs to Christ. Colossians 2.18 And let no one keep on defrauding you of your prize. What is your prize? The freedom of the resurrection life by delighting in self-abasement and the worship of angels, astrology, I'm an Aries, taking his stand on visions he has seen, inflated without cause by his fleshly mind. And that's what everybody wants you to think. Go to a psychic. Yeah, right. For what? To waste your money so they can tell you a bunch of gibberish? That's satanic. 
That is not spiritual. Why would you go to a liar to find out what your life is going to be like? Why don't you go to the truth? The Bible's telling you what your life's going to be like. What does he say? What did he say to the Barah Ministries leaders this week? Hey, here's a, a new space that you could consider. Don't worry, it's going to be easy. Is that what he said? No, he said, pick up your cross and follow me. And then he followed it up with, my burden is easy. My, my yoke is easy. My burden is light. Norbert wasn't even there. You know, we traced out the whole electrical plan, and he doesn't even know that he's going to be doing it for free. Amen? <laughs> and look, you know, we know the kind of guy you are, so we know you're going to do it. And, and we also know that if we screwed it up, you're going to fix it. Isn't that amazing? The next question, what's the main message of the letter? Well, the area was full of religious hucksters, false teachers with false teaching. They were bringing in new ideas of what constitutes spirituality. The false teachers were selling religious practices, and these are the four that we'll be studying in Colossians. Mysticism, legalism, asceticism, and philosophy. What is philosophy? Two Greek words, philos and sophos, love of wisdom. But in this case, it's love of false wisdom. And Paul recommended in Colossians chapter 2, verse 6, that this was all we need to do as Christians. Therefore, just as you believers in Christ have received Christ Jesus the Lord, how? Through simplicity and purity? So walk in union with him. Make that a lifestyle. What's the lifestyle? Simplicity and purity of devotion to Christ. Simple. Amazingly simple. But we like complicating it. So we're encouraged to live the Christian lifestyle and to shed the counterfeit life proposed by false teachers and their false teaching. And that's what they want you to do. They don't want you to think your spiritual life is easy. They want you to think it's hard. You know, I can't tell you how many people, when I start talking to them about spiritual things, well, I don't go to church. And you see the guilt. You know, the guilt starts getting on me. It's like, get your guilt off of me. Pack your bags. We're going on a guilt trip. Why do you feel guilty about it? You feel guilty about it because you know you should. Every time you say you should, that's guilt. That's you knowing what the right thing to do is and you not wanting to do it. You should. I don't go to church. That's not the point. Do you get together in a place where people are like-minded at different points of their journey who want to know the Lord that they worship and what he thinks so that when they go back out into the lying world and the world is lying and selling a counterfeit, they have the truth to counteract it. And I've told you this a hundred times, but I know you didn't get it the first hundred, so I'm going to give it to you 101. Bank tellers are only taught what real bills look like. They are never exposed to counterfeit bills. Because if you know what a true bill looks like, you will spot the counterfeit. Because the counterfeit will look just like the real one, but it will have a left turn. And they can see it because they know what they're looking for when they're looking for the truth. And they see the counterfeit. 
If you come to Christianity through religion, you've come through a counterfeit. I spent 50 years in counterfeits. 50. Of the 66 years I've been on the earth, eight of which I was not a Christian. Waste of time? It was the journey. Paul wouldn't tell you it was a waste of his time killing Christians. He thought he was doing some good. But it was the other part of his life that mattered. And every second you spend worshiping the real God and learning his real truth is amazing because the, the, the benefit is exponential. Well, what relevance does this letter have to our lives today? Let's listen to Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 to 25, where the Apostle Paul gives us instruction for the Christian way of living instead of a counterfeit way of life. Now, here's what we've seen so far. Chapter 1, the most brilliant description of the Lord Jesus Christ ever written and of all the benefits that the Lord has put together for you. Chapter 2, the problem in the Colossian church. Chapters 3 and 4, the Christian way of living. Let's see what Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 to 25 have to say about the Christian way of living. Therefore, if you believers in Christ have been raised up with Christ, resurrected from the dead with Christ, and of course you have, that's a first class condition, if, if and it's true, keep on seeking the things where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God the Father. Colossians 3.2, set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on the earth. I was saying to myself today that I can't wait until this life is over because this 80, 90, 103 years, whatever it happens to be, is a pittance compared to all eternity that I will be living for most of my life in a place where there's no interference from Satan, face to face with my Lord, the one whom I worship and love and who loves me unconditionally and gave, him up, gave himself up as a substitute for me. So I can bear this cross for a while. Set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are here. Colossians 3.3, 3, for you have died. When you become a believer in Christ, you are... are identified with everything that is Christ. That is what baptism means, identification with. And you are identified with everything that is Christ, his death, his burial, his resurrection from the dead, his suffering. You have died with Christ, and now your life is hidden with Christ in union with God the Father. Colossians 3, 4. When Christ, who is our resurrection life, is revealed to the whole world, then you also will be revealed with him in glory. And I was thinking about that yesterday, too, because I know a lot of people that I really love that are unbelievers. And they've had relationships with me for years, and I've evangelized to them for years, and they say, yeah, that's all well and good for you. But see, I'm the type of person who, little box. And when it's all over, they're going to be wondering where I am. 
Because I'm not going to be with them. Because I'm not going to the lake of fire. My destiny is set. When I close my eyes in this life, I'll be absent from the body and face to face with the Lord in a place of no more sorrow, no more tears. The old things have passed away. Behold, new things have come. A place exceeding and abundantly beyond anything we could ever ask or think. And I have zero doubts about it. I am not confused. I am not scared to die. It will be a pleasure to die. For living is occupation with Christ and dying is profit. I'm ready. You're all looking at me like, not too soon, though. I'm like, where would I go on Sundays? What would I do? Go to Cinnabon, I've been telling you. So, I mean, wow. When Christ, who is our resurrection life, is revealed, we'll be revealed with him, and some of our friends won't make it with us. Thank God that he wipes out our memory so that we don't have to experience that sadness for all eternity about all the people who didn't make the trip. Colossians 3, 5. Therefore, consider the members of your earthly body as dead to immorality, to impurity, to passion, to evil desire, and to greed, all of which amounts to idolatry. When you worship self and you worship things instead of worshiping Christ, that's idolatry. And idols are dead. Colossians 3, 6. For it is because of these things that the wrath of God will come upon the sons of disobedience, unbelievers. Why? Because that unbelievers make those things a lifestyle. That's not talking about sin. That's talking about a lifestyle. Colossians 3, 7. And in these things, you also once walked as a lifestyle when you were living in them. When you were unbelievers, you were doing the same thing. Yes, but pastor, I was only eight years old. You were doing the same thing. Physically alive and spiritually dead on the wrong side of a barrier, unable to have a relationship with God, helpless and hopeless to do anything about it. But then you found out the righteousness from God by believing in Christ. Colossians 3.8. But now, you believers in Christ also, put all those things aside. Put off anger. Put off wrath. Put off malice. Put off slander. And put off abusive speech from your mouth. I don't believe you heard me on Colossians 3.8. So I'm going to say it again. But now, you believers in Christ, put them all aside. Put off anger. Put off wrath. Put off malice. Put off slander. Put off abusive speech from your mouth. That's what you do when you live in the Christian way of life and not just talking about it. Colossians 3.9, do not lie to one another since you laid aside the old self with its evil practices. Colossians 3.10, and have put on the new self. You are a new creation who is being renewed to a true knowledge according to the image of the one who created him. Not the false knowledge of false teachers, but true knowledge, biblical knowledge. Amen? Amen. Colossians 3.11, a renewal in which there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, no social distinction, no distinction between circumcised and uncircumcised, no distinction between the Jews and the Gentiles, no 
concern about the bar- barbarian. What's a barbarian? A foreigner. Somebody who, because of the way they spoke, sounded like this to people who didn't speak that language. Bar, 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 bar. The Barbaros, the barbarians. Scythians, slave and free man, no social distinction. But Christ is overall and in all. No Democrats and Republicans in God's plan. Amen? Oh, you Democrats are whack. (laughs) I grew up in the most Democratic city in the United States, Chicago, in the most Democratic household in the United States, my mom's. She liked Bill Clinton. I still hate her a little bit for that. Colossians. (laughs) I'm sorry, that was my opinion. That was not the Holy Spirit. Colossians 3.12, so as those who have been chosen of God the Father, holy and beloved, beloved means you divinely loved ones, who are holy because God made you holy at the moment of salvation, put on a heart of compassion, put on a heart of kindness, put on a heart of humility, put on a heart of gentleness, put on a heart of patience, not just talking about it, living it. Colossians 3.13, bearing with one another and forgiving each other. And whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, so so should you forgive. This is the Christian way of living. Colossians 3.14, beyond all these things, put on unconditional love, which is the perfect bond of unity. I could be wrong, but I think Barah Ministries is getting a spanking right now. Colossians 3.15, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which indeed you were called in one body and be thankful. That is, if God spanked us, which he doesn't, but those whom the Lord loves, he also disciplines. He trains us in a character pattern. This is the character pattern. Colossians 3.16, let the word of Christ richly dwell within you with all wisdom. I was talking to a friend of mine about this this week, and I asked him, how much truth is really in you? Because he's one of these guys who flits from this pastor to that pastor to this pastor to this pastor to this pastor and gets nothing out of it. Because all of these pastors he's studying with are topical guys who teach topical things. You know, like four things that every woman wants from a man. Okay, that's great. Okay, so... You went to the Mayo Clinic, and the doctor comes in and says, excuse me, uh, sir, you have cancer, and you have the most aggressive form of cancer. And statistics say you have six months to live. I'm not God, so I really don't know how much time you have to live. But this form of cancer, as aggressive as it is, is not good for you. Oh, man, what do I do? I'm going to die. Oh, wait, let me take this sermon out. Four things that every man wants from a woman. Does that help? Does that help? No. no, it doesn't help. No, it doesn't help. But tune into Joel Osteen, who will wag his Bible at you and not teach you jack, except you can have it all prosperity. Is that going to help when somebody tells you that you have cancer? Is that going to help? No, because you ain't going anywhere with the money. This isn't Egypt. 
right? You know, the Egyptians used to do, they, had, they got buried with all their possessions. And I guarantee you this, it didn't help. Because you don't take it with you. See? But if, if you pull this out, and you say, okay, hmm, lick your finger, then just point. Hmm. Trust in the Lord Jesus Christ with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding and all your ways acknowledge Jesus and he will make your path straight. Oh. I will not allow my believers in Christ to be hurled headlong. Does that help? Does that help? That helps. But my buddy's studying with the topical guys. And they got, they got books. And they got big congregations. They're mega churches. Whoopie-doo. Whoopie-doo. Because you know what we got? The Bible. That's it. So let the word of Christ richly dwell within you because when you're under pressure, that will come through. With all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. The June verse. Singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Colossians 3.17. And whatever you do, in word or in deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. Colossians 3.18. Wives, be in subjection to your husbands, because that's fitting in the Lord. Colossians 3.19. Husbands, love your wives unconditionally, and do not be embittered against them. And unconditional love is a one-way love. And when your wife's acting like a goofball, what do you do? Love her more. And when she acts like a bigger goofball, what do you do? Love her more. That's unconditional love, because that's exactly what God does with us. Colossians 3.20. Children, be obedient to your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing to the Lord. That's a 21-year experience. When you're 21, you are no longer a children. Your parents may have trouble grasping that concept. But you are an adult, and kids were designed to launch. Colossians 3.21. Fathers, do not exasperate your children so that they will not lose heart. I was guilty of that for some years in my fathering. Colossians 3.22. Slaves, in all things obey those who are your masters on earth, not with external service as those who merely please men, I wash, but with sincerity of heart, respecting the Lord. Colossians 3.23, And whatever you do, do your work heartily, as for the Lord rather than for men. You hate your boss? You hate your job? Then you've got your eyes in the wrong place. Focus on the Lord. Serve Him through your career. And He will prosper you. And He will get you to the next place when it's time. Amen? Colossians 3.24, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance. You are an heir of Christ, and you share in everything that is Christ. And that's your inheritance. And your inheritance is put away in heaven. It's imperishable. It's undefiled. Where wrath, 
where moth and rust will not destroy. It is the Lord, the Christ, whom you serve. Colossians 3.25 For he who does wrong will receive the consequences of the wrong which he has done, and that without partiality. Don't blame that on the Lord. Blame that on you. You will receive the consequences of the wrong which you do without partiality. Want an example? You meet somebody, uh, a, a man meets a woman, and then two months later, she's pregnant. They're not married, and then the next thing you know, a baby is here. 21-year sentence. Babies were not meant to be born into broken homes. That's not the way God planned it. You know why? Because raising those little mothers is hard. And it's really hard to do alone. And you women better be listening to me real good because you are the one who gets to take the care package. You get to keep the care package. I don't care how much he says he loves you. When he finds out there's a baby, that love is going to wane. Oh, no, I'm wrong. One out of 100,000 times, there's one person with integrity. Hopefully that'll be you. If you've been watching Disneyland enough, you'll be the princess that happens to. No, you won't. That's what this is talking about. This isn't talking about God's going to come down on you. Because God's not even interested in coming down on you. God loves you unconditionally. You've never disappointed him. You can't. So, the Colossians had the same challenge as we do. They wanted to know about the Christian way of living so that they could walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. And in the next lesson, we'll wrap up our overview so we can get down to the business of learning this letter verse by verse. The closing moments of our lesson today are for anyone who does not have a relationship with the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We want you to know that God wants you. And what God wants from you and what God wants for you is that you make the most important decision of your life. It's a decision that you make at a single point in time with the results that that stands finished forever. So here's what this message is. It's called the gospel message. The Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, the creator of the heavens and the earth, and your creator, because he created all things, loves you unconditionally, and he wants the best for you. So here is a question that demands reflection. Are you a sinner or a saint? According to the Bible, all of us come to earth as sinners. Romans chapter 3, verse 23 says this, All creatures have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Romans 3.10 says, It is written, There is no creature who is righteous, not even one. But unfortunately, being a sinner has a penalty. Romans chapter 6, verse 23 says this, The payment earned for being a sinner is both spiritual death and physical death. Being a sinner is bad news, especially if you die a sinner. Revelation chapter 20, verse 15 says this, 
And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life at the great white throne judgment of unbelievers, and that will be true for many, he was thrown into the lake of fire. If you die before you accept a relationship with the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, you leave this life as a sinner, and that is not good news for you. The Bible is a guide for sinners, and it contains good news. If you're a sinner and you're still breathing, you can choose to become a saint. The sovereign God of the universe, the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, and his Father have special plans for sinners. Romans chapter 5, verse 8 says this, God the Father demonstrates his own unconditional love toward all mankind, in that while we were sinners, while we were unrighteous, ungodly unbelievers, Christ died a sacrificial death for us. John chapter 3, verse 16, God the Father loved the world unconditionally, and he loved the world so much that he gave his uniquely born son, the God-man, the Lord Jesus Christ, 100% God and 100% man and one person forever, to be crucified on a cross so that whosoever believes in him shall never perish, Instead, he shall have the resurrection life, eternal life. The Lord Jesus Christ has his arms wide open right this minute waiting to welcome sinners into his kingdom. John chapter 6, verse 37, And the ones who come to me to believe in me, I, the Lord Jesus Christ, will certainly not cast out into the outer darkness the lake of fire. In fact, you don't even have to look for God because he is always looking for sinners. Luke chapter 15, verses 4 to 7, say this. What man among you, if he has a hundred sheep and has lost one of them, doesn't leave the ninety-nine sheep in the open pasture and go after the one which is lost until he finds it? Luke fifteen five. And when he is found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. Luke 15, 6. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep who was lost. Luke 15, 7. I, the Lord Jesus Christ, tell you that in the same way there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents, one unbeliever who changes his mind about having a relationship with Christ, than over 99 righteous persons, saints, believers in Christ, who need no repentance. Did you hear that? If anybody ever tells you as a believer in Christ to repent, do you see that you need no repentance? They're lying. All right, so there are a few things you need to know if you want to be transformed from sinner to saint. First, you can't work to be saved. God does the work for you. Titus chapter 3 verse 5 says this. The Lord Jesus Christ saved us, not on the basis of deeds which we have done in self-righteousness, but according to his mercy. And mercy is not giving us what we deserve. Sinners deserve the cross. By the washing of regeneration and through the renewing by God the Holy Spirit. Second, to be a saint instead of a sinner, you need to have a change of mind. And the Bible calls that repentance. And it has nothing to do with your sins, as many legalists claim. Repent means to change your mind about your desire to have a relationship with Jesus Christ, moving from having no desire to have a relationship 
with him to an immediate desire to have a relationship with him. And you can do that right this minute. Acts chapter 17, verses 30 and 31 say this. Therefore, having overlooked the times of your ignorance, God the Father is now declaring to men that all people everywhere should repent. Because God the Father has fixed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness through the God-man, Jesus Christ, whom the Father has appointed, having furnished proof that he is God to all men by raising Christ Jesus from the dead. Yes, you can place your confidence in the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. Finally, you need to acknowledge the truths in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 3 and 4. I, Paul, delivered to you as of primary importance the gospel message I also received, that it was Jesus Christ, who died for our sins according to the Old Testament scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he was raised from the dead on the third day, according to the Old Testament scriptures. So, how can you move from sinner to saint? John chapter 1 verse verse 12 says this, Whosoever received him, to them the Lord Jesus Christ gave the right to become children of God the Father, even to those who believe in Jesus Christ's name. So follow the advice of Acts 16.31. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, you and everyone in your household who also believes. But heed the warning of John chapter 3, verse 36. He who believes in the Son has eternal life right at that moment. But he who does not obey the command to believe in the Son will not see the resurrection life. Instead, the wrath of God, the lake of fire, abides on him. The good news is this, Romans chapter 10, verse 13, whosoever will call on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ will be saved. Take a moment out of your busy life and heed the suggestion in Romans chapter 10, verse, verses 9 and 10. If you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord, that he is God, and if you believe in your heart that God the Father raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Romans 10.10, for with the heart a person believes, resulting in the imputation of absolute righteousness by God, which is your admission ticket to heaven, and with the mouth a person confesses, admitting faith in Christ alone, resulting in salvation. And as a reminder, once you have salvation, you cannot lose it. An immutable God, who never changes his mind, saves you once, and for all time. Hebrews chapter 7 verse 25 says this, Therefore, the Lord Jesus Christ is able also to save forever through his divine power omnipotence those who draw near to God the Father through believing in the Christ. Since the Lord Jesus Christ always lives to make intercession for those who draw near. When you ask for salvation, the Holy Spirit intercedes for you And the Lord Jesus Christ intercedes for you, talking to God the Father and begging on your behalf. In John chapter 10, verse 28, the Lord says, I, the Lord Jesus Christ, give eternal life to believers in Christ and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. The Lord Jesus Christ is the big guy on the playground. Try to take a believer in Christ out of the Lord's hand. It's impossible. Cannot be done. And you hear believers in Christ all the time. 
I asked him the question, do you think you can lose your salvation? Oh, yeah. How? Well, from a lot of sinning. Okay, well, then what did Christ do at the cross? He paid for all your sins, past, present, and future. What did he do for the, at the cross? Badia, 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 badia. You cannot lose your salvation under any circumstance once you have it. You didn't do it. God did it, and God never changes his mind. So, take a moment to believe now if you don't, because there's no time to waste. All right, let's close with music. In Mark chapter 12, verse 30, the Lord reminds us, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. The important word there is? I didn't hear you. Oh, Oh, well, June Murphy reminds us with one of her amazing songs what the Christian motto must be. I'm all in.
What the heck happened this week to you? That's awesome. Letting out the, the dulcet tones. That's fantastic. Thank you, June. Just for, for you visitors, just so you know, June has written 50 songs, and she's working on her next 10, and she can't read music, but she writes the song and then has the music playing in her head. So when you talk to her, if you, you know, if you think something's going on, it is. You know, there's music going on in there and all kind of other stuff. But just amazing. Her songs are amazing. Thanks, June. Let's close with words of worship for our almighty God. Romans 8.37 says, In every situation imaginable, believers in Christ keep on overwhelmingly conquering through the Lord who loves us unconditionally. Romans 8.38 For I, Paul, am convinced that neither death nor life, nor elect angels who wouldn't, nor principalities, demons, fallen angels who couldn't, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to sever us from the unconditional love of God the Father who is for us through our union with Christ Jesus our Lord. Just another passage that lets us know that we cannot lose our salvation under any circumstances. We cannot be severed from our Almighty God. Let us pray. Almighty God and Father, thank you for the constant challenges you put before us to live our Christian way of life and not just to talk about it. Thank you for giving us each other because each of us has a piece of the puzzle that you're assembling for your own glory, and for our benefit. Help us to have the courage to stand in your word. Help us have the courage to live the life that you set out for us. Help us to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which we have been called. Let us use the powerful weapon of prayer to pray in every circumstance where our human capability is not enough. And help us to pray mostly for our enemies so that they will not prevail against us. We ask this through the power of God, the Holy Spirit, in Christ's name. Say it with me. Amen. Amen. Thanks for coming, thanks for watching, and thanks for listening.